All right, you're listening to Questions and Answers with Brother Dean Carmichael. We are answering the, the major question here of who were the prophets of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and what did they prophesy? And we're going through a series here in prophecy, and we're looking at all of the prophetic books in the Bible. There are some 85 prophets in the Bible, but we're going to look at uh, where we are looking at all the the, the the prophetic books. We've looked at Isaiah. We've looked at Jeremiah, Lamentations. And now we come to a very interesting book, a very great book of the Bible here in the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to start out by quoting Dr. Schofield, said that Ezekiel was carried away to Babylon between the first and final deportations of Judah. Like Daniel and the apostle John, he prophesied out of the land, and his prophecy, like theirs, followed the methods and symbol and vision. Unlike the pre-prophets uh, whose ministry was primarily to either Judah or the Ten Tribe Kingdom, Ezekiel is the voice of Jehovah to the whole house of Israel. And again, that was Dr. C.I. Schofield. Here to talk with us again this week is Dr. Brandon DuPont. I'm going to refer to him in just a minute and let him uh, expound a little bit on some of the, the, the more unique parts of the book. But talking a little bit about this book of Ezekiel, when you look at the history of, of Israel, you have the Exodus stage in 1446 BC. We know that Joshua siege, sieges Jericho shortly after that. You have the Judges period for about 300 years where man did that which was right in his own eyes. After the Judges stage, you have the United Kingdom, Saul, David, Solomon. Then you have Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who rebelled from the wisdom of the old men. There was Jeroboam. There was a civil war. It's the divided, chaotic kingdom. Jeroboam took the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, the ten northern kingdoms. Nineteen kings, not one was righteous. There were ten tribes. Samaria became the capital. Amos and Hosea would prophesy to the northern kingdom. And they were captured by the Assyrians in 721 BC. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, this is where the southern kingdom would start. Judah and Benjamin. Jerusalem was the capital. 20 rulers, 19 kings, and one queen, actually. And of those, there was there were eight were righteous. And of those righteous, uh, we, we talked about how Jeremiah uh, last time uh, was the last saw the last righteous leader, uh, Josiah, who was killed in, in battle. And the, the prophets who prophesied there, you have Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. And Israel, the southern kingdom, they're going to be led into captivity, not by the Assyrians. We all know that great, wonderful story there of, of Hezekiah and how he encouraged the people there when they thought they were going to be taken into captivity. Uh, by the Assyrians, but they weren't. It's the Babylonians, and God uh, will use Babylon as judgment for Judah and their idolatry and their wickedness. Jerusalem fell in 585. About seven years before that, you have a man by the name of Ezekiel beginning his, his prophecy. Um, Ezekiel covers a period of 21 years, the theme, before I get there, the key verses of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, 
as I was on the captives by the river of Jabbar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Verse number three, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Jabbar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Talking a little bit about Ezekiel, the theme of this book is the moral awfulness of Israel and their need to come to repentance. You start out with spiritual apostasy, you then get to political anarchy, and that always leads to moral awfulness. Another theme of this book, God never changes. He's a loving, gracious, merciful God, but he's also a holy, righteous, and just God. Ezekiel's message was to rebuke, but also to encourage Israel. His message was very similar to Jeremiah's. God was a good, uh, a God of judgment, but also a God of grace, and that there would be a day they would be uh, restored. The name Ezekiel means God shall strengthen. He was taken captive into Babylon around 597 BC. He answered his call from God at 30 years old, prophesied for about 22 years. J. Vernon McGee says that his message was the most spiritual of the prophets as he dealt more with the person of God. Someone has said Ezekiel is the prophet of the spirit as Isaiah is the prophet of the son and Jeremiah the prophet of the father. He's a very humble man. He was known for his faith during a trying time. Uh, during this time, the, the first year of captivity, the false prophets were, were telling people uh, that um, they would return to Jerusalem and that Jerusalem would not be destroyed. destroyed. But not until Zedekiah's reign, 11 years later, is when Jerusalem was destroyed. And there's a verse um, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 22, verse 28, later on, but it, it talks about this. It says, and her prophets have daubed them with untippered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. Ezekiel lived in a very wicked time. You had a lot of spiritual um, uh, uh, apostasy going on there. Ezekiel was married. He had a home. Um, his wife did die suddenly. Um, he had a great testimony uh, with the, the elders of, of Judah. So we're going to look a little deeper into the book here. And you can divide this, this prophecy of Ezekiel into three main divisions. The prophecies before the siege, the prophecies during the siege, and the prophecies after the siege. The first section, the prophecies before the siege of Jerusalem, this is chapters 1 through 24, talking about the exiles of talking to the exiles before the siege. And there are some, some very unique things uh, about this book, but especially in, in this, uh, in chapter one and in chapter five. So uh, Dr. DuPont is with us again. We always enjoy having him. And Brother Brandon, if you would, I'll let you take it away here and talk to us a little bit about some of the, of the hot spots, if you would, in, in this book, in chapters one and chapter five. Uh, as always, it's a, a privilege to be with you. Uh, looking at the book of Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel, one of the four major prophets, you, you've already touched on that. And this is, uh, again, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel being those four major prophets. But this book stands out very unique, even among those four men. When you look at Isaiah, and this has already been briefly touched on, but you look at, at Isaiah and the theme of that book speaks of the salvation of the Lord. 
Uh, Jeremiah speaks of the judgment of the Lord. Daniel speaks of the kingdom of the Lord. Uh, but the book of Ezekiel focuses, uh, and its sole focus is on the glory of the Lord. We, we see that through several revelations that are given to Ezekiel, several prophecies and visions that are given to him uh, that don't belong to anybody else. For example, when you look at Ezekiel, you'll see that Ezekiel was the only prophet uh, who, was had, who was said to have seen the heavens opened up. And, and this is a, I know you have Isaiah 6 where he's brought in, but it, it's speaking of uh, almost the entirety of the heavens, so to speak. It's, it's widely open for him. And this is a, an indication of the breadth and the depth of the, of the insight that was granted to him. Ezekiel was a priest. Uh, and, and what his focus is, when you look at the, the glory of the Lord here, you see several very striking uh, similarities that are used between him and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at um, uh, the simple phrase, son of man, uh, the son of man, if, if you're familiar with that phrase, uh, is used um, for the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the New Testament, some 80, uh, approximately 80 plus times. Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke being the key place that that is mentioned, uh, that was uh, Christ's favorite term there. Uh, and it was the, the title he himself used many times to describe himself. Uh, and it, it signifies his humanity. Again, the, the perfect humanity of Christ coming down to be our substitute. Uh, and again, that, that when you think about that whole message, uh, Christ's humanity is, is what brought glory unto the Lord. I think about the, the Gospel of John, and I look at the, uh, the 17th chapter, uh, the great high priestly prayer that Christ is praying in the garden. He is interceding as a high priest would uh, for the, the, uh, the people. He is interceding on behalf of, of not only the disciples, but he is interceding on behalf of, of the, the future church also praying in that prayer. And he, he says, uh, he goes on many times to say, glorify uh, thou me with the glory wherewith we had in the beginning. Uh, he says, the son has glorified the father. Again, the, the focus there uh, is on the glory of the Lord. Now, um, the, the phrase son of man is used uh, approximately 90 times in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, a, a tremendous comparison uh, when you look at those things. Again, just just signifying and pointing man towards that that uh, glory of God. Now, I want to point out just a couple of things as we look at it, because, uh, again, this is a, a very long book, 48 chapters. It'd be impossible to give um, a, a, an in-depth study of the whole thing in the time that we have allotted. But several of the key things that stand out, you've already mentioned the rebellion of Israel. This, this was a theme that was carried throughout the book. Um, anytime we see that, the reason that ties in, as I stated earlier, the glory of God or the glory of the Lord, and as you stated, the rebellion, uh, anytime you see rebellion, it always goes against. Uh, it is always a direct sin against the glory of God there. Uh, and that is what, why it has to be dealt with. Now, when we look at Ezekiel, uh, we see in chapter one, we deal with his calling there to the public ministry. Uh, verse one there gives reference. It says, now it came to pass in the 30th year, uh, in the fourth month there. This would have given reference to uh, the fact that, that Ezekiel would have been 30 years of age, uh, approximately 30 years of age. That is significant for two reasons. Uh, one, when you look at it, uh, as far as Israelite culture goes, uh, a priest was not allowed to start their public ministry until at least 30 years of age. Uh, it signifies an age of maturity uh, among the Jewish people. And it's also significant in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ himself also started his public ministry uh, at, at the age of uh, the approximate age of 30 years old that we look at. So uh, again, this is that there's similarities between these two men. And, and again, it's, it's always pointing, all of it goes back to uh, pointing solely to the, the glory of God here. Now, uh, looking at this in verses four down through 14, 
uh, of the first chapter there, we have the living creatures that are, uh, that are identified here. Uh, they're described, you see them, um, the likeness of these creatures as you look at uh, this, this description that they have, this, this vision that uh, Ezekiel is given there, uh, these, these coincide, these, these same living creatures coincide with uh, the book of Revelation chapter 4, um, verses 6 through 9 there, dealing with those same creatures there, which would have been a description of the cherubim. Um, you have four of these living creatures. They surround the throne of God. They represent the holiness of God. Uh, the first time they're mentioned in Scripture, you see them in Genesis chapter number 3, uh, where Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, and they are guarding uh, that, that tree of life there. Again, speaking of the holiness of God, they're, they're guarding that holiness there. That holiness had been uh, violated, and, and because of that, they had to be cast out. Uh, one of the next times you see them is over the in the tabernacle. You see them covering the, the mercy seat, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They were, they were actually... The cherubim were attached to that mercy seat there. And uh, again, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God and his holiness, his righteousness within there was the broken law, uh, the, the rod that had budded, uh, a picture of the resurrection. All of these things were, were contained in there. And again, they all point back to the glory of the Lord. Now, very quickly before I, I mention just a couple of things and, and turn it back over to you, when you look at these four living creatures, again, the, the description of them, you have four different faces that, that are seen there. One being uh, the face of, of a lion, the other being the face of an ox, the third uh, the face of a man, and the fourth uh, the face of an eagle. Uh, this is commonly, uh, most scholars will hold to the, the interpretation uh, and hold to the description that each one of these represents a different characteristic or a different description of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we see those characteristics, they coincide with the four Gospels. When you have the, the face of the lion, uh, you're dealing with uh, the Gospel of Matthew there, where Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the, the focus of the Gospel of Matthew, though it is to all men, the focus of that Gospel is primarily to the Jewish people. It, it presents Christ again, that lion of the tribe of Judah. It shows him uh, as Messiah, as king, uh, shows him in his reign. It deals with the tribulation period. Uh, which we know will be uh, primarily a Jewish focus uh, as the church is already raptured out. When you look at the face of an ox, uh, you're coinciding with the gospel of Mark. Uh, the, the ox was a, a, uh, an animal of service, a, a work animal there. The, the focus of the gospel of Mark is dealing with the, the miracles of Christ. It is also an animal of sacrifice. And, and you see there again, Christ there uh, coming to uh, labor and coming to sacrifice uh, himself for man. When you look at the face of a man, uh, you are coinciding with the, the Gospel of Luke there, and you see there that, that again, it, the whole theme of the Gospel of Luke is the humanity of Christ there. It pictures him uh, as the, the perfect son of man, as the, the uh, kinsman redeemers, that, that beautiful um, substitute that has come down uh, in our place there, perfectly 100% uh, man, but yet also 100% God. And then when you look at the eagle, you are seeing it, uh, a co it coincides with the Gospel of John, and that, that uh, eagle represents the deity. Now, the, the first three Gospels are, are what's commonly referred to as the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're, they're very much synonymous in uh, many of the miracles they record, uh, in, in much of the, the, uh, the, the writing styles are different. They capture much of the same events, but when you come to the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of John is, is written at a much later date. It is written... Uh, by one who is aged and looking back on the glory of the Lord and, and all that he's done for him. 
and he presents the gospel uh, from the, the standpoint of the deity of Christ there and, and focuses on him being the son of God more than anything else. So all of these things, uh, just looking at the very first chapter, how rich this chapter is, you, you see that, that beauty there, the, the wheel within the wheel, speaking of the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, and the fact that he is continually uh, rotating all things in nature, that he sees all, he controls all, sustains all. Um, again, all of this uh, focuses on, on the glory of the Lord. And, and uh, again, what a, what a tremendous chapter for just uh, the, the first chapter of this book. There, there's so much to it. So um, just looking at that first chapter, it's, it's a tremendous insight into it. But Yeah, absolutely. And just, I mean, we, we could stay here a long time, right? But um, just going back to the, the cherubim about how the, the four living creatures resemble, the, the, as you mentioned, the description we had of the cherubim um, in the Garden of Eden. And, and, and that was not um, shutting man out from God. They were keeping the way open from God, right? For God, right? Absolutely. Adam and Eve, they saw that slain animal whose skins they were wearing. And as you mentioned, the cherubim overshadowing, um, keeping the way open to God, it's, it's, the, it's the blood that makes the atonement for, for man. You talked about the mercy seat there. And, and um, you know, Moses, when he made the mercy seat, there were the cherubim above, which looked down. You know, it's, it's only through the blood. That's the only way. Um, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, the Lord Jesus Christ said. And you also mentioned talking about the, uh, the in, in relation to the, the Gospels. And just, um, you know, e each Gospel, it, it, when, you, when you look at that, and this is another study, but when, when we look at the, the, the four Gospels and how, how God used uh, the the Jews and their religion, how he used the uh, the 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 Romans and how they had that you know the 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 false peace, the false peace, and so on, and the the Greeks and their their language. But for example, as you mentioned before, you know each each writer was writing to a specific group of people, and uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that there. Talk to us, brother. We we uh, we're just going to kind of skip over the middle section here, and uh, we're talking about chapters twenty-five to thirty-two uh, during the siege of Jerusalem. That's the uh, the seven Gentile nations. There, we won't we won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, but you're you're pretty much um, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, uh, Tyre, Egypt. These are all nations that he's prophesying against there, but. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the Millennial temp Temple in chapters 40 through 47. All right. Um, well, let me, let me uh, briefly, as you mentioned, those, those nations there, you see several significant nations uh, that are mentioned there. Moab uh, is always, uh, God refers to Moab as his wash pot. You would see um, Moab, again, if you go back to the book of Genesis, a, a byproduct of the incest of Lot and his daughters, Moab and both Ammon. Uh, filthy, filthy nation that they were gods. Um, their false idols many times were ones that were seen where you had the, um, that they were prominent in child sacrifice. Um, uh, Molech, uh, Chemosh, uh, several of the other gods that, that are mentioned there, uh, they have interchangeable names many times with um, uh, Philistia and several others, but uh, again, very wicked, wicked practices. And one of the things that had uh, caused them so much trouble is that uh, Israel had become to look and to act just like the nations around them. You look at 
the uh, Philistines, anytime Philistine is, is mentioned in scripture, it, it is a type of the flesh. It refers to the flesh. Um, when you look at Egypt in scripture, it is always a type of the world. Um, and, and they were, uh, once Israel had been called out of Egypt, had been gathered out of Egypt, they were repeatedly told throughout the Old Testament not to go back to it. Now, uh, touching on the Millennial Temple, this is this is very significant because one of the major events uh, that you see in the, the book of Ezekiel, uh, when you look at it, I believe it's uh, Ezekiel 11, chapter number 23 off the top of my head. I want to double check that. Um, but looking at that, what you see um, is, is the departure of God's glory. Now, it, it is 11.23, the, the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem. You see the, uh, the departure uh, of the glory of the Lord there that's taking place right before the, uh, the final destruction of the, of the city itself. But this is, a, this is very, very significant because when you, when you think about Solomon's temple, uh, the, the dedication of the Lord there, when Solomon had, uh, they had completed this temple, this, this beautiful, absolutely beautiful uh, uh, building that was, that was made there, uh, the value of this thing is, is almost incalculable to, to today's currency. Um, I've heard it, it range in, in all different areas as far as the, the cost of this thing. Some saying it, it would be in, in the value range of $5 billion in today's currency. Uh, either way, the, the amount isn't the significant part. But just uh, when you look at how, how amazing this building is, this, this temple, uh, the, the animals that were dedicated when Solomon, uh, the animals that were sacrificed when Solomon dedicated this temple were in the thousands upon thousands, I think off the top of my head somewhere in the ballpark of like 125,000 animals. I mean, the, the, the sacrifice was phenomenal. And when it was all done, uh, all said and done, the, the Shekinah glory of God, which was, um, it, it, was absolutely, it was unique to Israel. It was, it was, not, it was not shared with any other nation. Uh, even the Apostle Paul speaks of it in the book of Romans, to whom pertaineth the glory and the adoption. When he, I think it's Romans 9. Uh, that when he refers to that glory, he's referring to that Shekinah glory of God, the visible manifestation of God's glory, uh, first seen in um, the book of Exodus and the, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. But this glory uh, that come down had filled the temple so thick that the priests could not go in and minister, that they, they could not step into the temple. It literally drove them out. Uh, and the glory of God just shone out there. Now you see because of sin and rebellion, uh, you see that glory depart. And that, again, what a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous thought about this uh, when we think about it and, and we look at that now. Thankfully, uh, because we have the finished work of Christ today, um, we may grieve the spirit, we can quench the spirit, but we can never drive the spirit of God away. He'll always dwell in us. It's, it's a permanent dwelling. Uh, the, the Bible goes so far as to say he's the earnest uh, of our redemption, the earnest, uh, that, that earnest being uh, simply the uh, down payment, if you can put that, if, if I can use that, I don't mean it irreverently, but um, again, we're, we are so secure in, in our salvation in Christ that in order for God to abandon one of his children, he would literally have to abandon uh, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, and break that Trinity, and we know that's just not going to happen, but but this glory departs, it leaves, and, and Ezekiel sees this leaving, as a priest, this would have been something that was even heavier on his heart, uh, seeing that and recognizing the fact that uh, where he had gone into minister, where God, uh, every symbol of the temple, every, everything about it uh, was for God's glory and for his praise, and yet this glory is departing. Now, when you come over, um, if, if God would have left it right there, it, it, this would be a very depressing 
depressing book and a very depressing message. But thank God there's always grace. Um, we, we see here that God is, is showing uh, that grace in the restoration of the, the temple there. This is a very significant thing because we have several temples uh, mentioned throughout Scripture. Uh, we have several temples mentioned, Old Testament, New Testament. You have, uh, as you come there, you have Solomon's temple. You have uh, Zerubbabel's temple. You have Herod's temple in the New Testament. Uh, all of these things, you have the, the temple that is, is um, going to be uh, erected and going to be used during the, the tribulation period, uh, which is where the Antichrist will, will set up his, uh, what the Bible refers to in, in the book of Daniel and the book of Matthew is the abomination of desolation, where he'll, he'll uh, desecrate that temple, setting up an image uh, of the Antichrist to be worshipped. Um, but when you come to Ezekiel 40, uh, through the remainder of the book, you see that beautiful millennial temple. And this this has to do with after the tribulation period, when Christ returns in glory, uh, us as his bride returning with him and sets up, uh, literally sets foot down on the Mount of Olives, walks through the Eastern Gate and sets up his rule and reign for a literal thousand years. Now, uh, there are some that uh, hold to either uh, hold to what's called an amillennial view, meaning they don't believe in a literal millennial reign of Christ. Uh, I personally differ from that. I think it and the reason being, if, if you do not take literally the millennial reign of Christ, uh, then you have to uh, allegorize or spiritualize so many prophecies. And, and really, like I said, when you come to Ezekiel 40 and, and through the remainder of the book, I personally don't know what you would do with, with the remainder of this book. You'd have to spiritualize the, entire, uh, the entirety of that temple, of, of, of all those things. You'd have to make that uh, mean something else. And I think that the, the best thing we can do is let the Bible speak for itself and, and take it literally. Now, when we look at it again, we see here Christ setting up uh, that millennial reign. Uh, he, he sets up that rule and reign there, and Israel is allowed to restore that worship there. Now, uh, the, the question is asked, and it is a very legitimate question, why, if, if we have the finished work of Christ, why is the uh, the temple allowed why our sacrifice is carried out. And the, the answer that I can give to a very simple answer without going uh, too, depth in, uh, too deep into it is the fact that these, these sacrifices uh, will be symbolic. Almost the same thing that we look at um, as, as our Lord's Supper today, very much symbolic. We know that's not the literal body and blood of Christ that, that we're taking part of, but it reminds us this doing remembrance of me. It reminds us what Christ has done for us. And the same thing will hold true, even if it, 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 that same principle holds true when you look at the Old Testament sacrifices. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats is, is uh, never able to fully abolish sin or to, to uh, pay that payment for sin. Uh, it simply pushed it off. So a lot of the Old Testament sacrifices, uh, that they were symbolic of what was going to be permanently fulfilled or, or completely fulfilled uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this temple, again, the study of this temple gives the dimensions, gives the, the beauty of it, a lot of the description. Uh, but again, it will show a, a restoration uh, of true worship between Israel uh, and Christ there. The, the book of Zechariah touches on that a little bit, that though Israel, the, the book of Romans, chapter 9, 10, and 11, uh, chapter 9 deals with Israel's past rejection. Chapter 10 deals with their current um, uh, they're currently being outside of, of the will of God, and they're currently being set apart, and the Gentile, the, the wild olive branch being grafted in. But Romans 11 deals with the restoration of Israel. And, and we see that, again, tied up in Ezekiel. We see that uh, the book of uh, Zechariah touches on it when they said they'll look upon him whom they have pierced, and, and they'll weep, there. They'll, they'll recognize the Lord, and they'll accept the Lord. 
So all of this is, is tying together uh, to bring together that, that uh, thousand year reign where Christ is, is praised and where he rules um, from the very throne of Jerusalem, taking uh, again, being the seat of David, uh, that gives him right to the throne. So it's again, beautiful study when you look at it. You had mentioned um, about the, the Christian millennial teachings and I, I'd like to I'd like to go back to that. If got a minute, we can kind of discuss that because we are we are talking about prophecy here. I think it's very relevant. Of course, it's relevant to the book of Ezekiel. But you you mentioned first amillennialism. I'm talking about how that the the millennium reign is more of a symbolic millennium, and you know again that does not align with scripture. And one of the rules that, that we, we, we set at the beginning of this podcast was always compare Scripture with Scripture. There's a systematic approach to studying the Bible. And when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you have a problem with amillennialism. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head there, brother. You run into it with Ezekiel, right? There, there, there is a, an, a literal 1,000 years. Let's talk about the other ones for a minute. Uh, post-trib premillennialism which is um correct me if i'm wrong here you got the church going into the tribulation uh which then would end at the 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 second coming uh which starts the millennium uh there's another one called post-millennialism uh where it's uh, it there is a thousand year reign there but it's it's all one uh, then what i believe and I, I don't think you and mommy speaking for you here brother but what we hold that the Bible says is very scriptural. When you compare scripture with scriptural, scripture, you have a tree-tribulational, premillennial view. It lines up with dispensationalism. It lines up with the Bible. When you study the entire Bible in the light of God's word and you study that, this is you have your, um, from the cross uh, to the day of Christ, you have something called the church age. That ends at the day of Christ, uh, which is the rapture, uh, what the Bible speaks about, uh, the, the, the trump shall sound, and uh, those of us will, will meet the Lord in the air. That's the church. Then there'll be a seven-year tribulation. That'll end at the, the day of Christ, or excuse me, the day of the Lord, which is Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ will come back, and that sets up what you were talking about, that 1,000-year millennial reign which will end like every other dispensation, correct? Every other dispensation with man's failure and God's judgment. Satan will be loose from that bottomless pit. He'll come out. He'll deceive the nations. You'll have the battle of Gog and Magog, and that's where we start eternity. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me touch on that for just a minute. Um, as long as we're looking at this, uh, several things that stand out specifically uh, that cause a problem with an amillennial or a post-tribulation view. Uh, several of those things are when you look at, uh, again, the post-tribulation view, so to speak, you look at the, uh, when we say post-tribulation, what we mean is the uh, church being raptured after the tribulation period. Now you run into a couple problems with that. Uh, one, God has promised to spare us from uh, us being the church to spare us from the judgment. When you look at Old Testament typology, uh, you can see this all throughout. Uh, Enoch is translated before the flood is brought in. Enoch is a picture of the church. Uh, he walks with God after a birth there, speaking of salvation, and he is brought up before the judgment uh, is brought down there. Noah being a type of the Jew that is preserved uh, through the tribulation, 
that that flood being a type of the tribulation itself. You look also in Genesis 19, you look at, at a man by the name of Lot. And Lot, uh, before any fire could rain down, before any judgment could come on Sodom and Gomorrah, you had Lot had to be brought out. He had to be protected. He had to be carried out. Uh, he was preserved from that judgment, even though he himself uh, was was vexed with it, is what the book of, of Peter tells us, First Peter, I believe it is, um, tells us he was vexed in spirit. He, he was among those uh, that were in, in the filthy heathen, and, and he was brought out of that before judgment could come. Now, a couple things, again, that, that caused a problem with not only the post-trib view, but also with the amillennialism. With the post-trib view, um, you have there, you, you have to explain when the the marriage supper of the lamb takes place and uh with a pre-tribulation view okay post-trib says that you're raptured up uh, after the tribulation and immediately come back down with christ now the problem with that okay if you look at jewish culture uh, you have if you look at scripture you have a um, description of the tribulation as the 70th week of daniel all right you have that uh, the time of jacob's trouble now, that week there in Scripture, again, the tribulation being a seven-year period, a week in Scripture represents a seven-year time. Uh, when you look at that, okay, it coincides that the church is raptured up, and that ushers the beginning of that tribulation period. We, as the church, are brought before uh, what is referred to as the Bema Seat of Christ. I believe that to be done um, immediately. I personally hold to the, the interpretation that it is done immediately. Once we are raptured, we're brought before the, uh, that Bema Seat. And then a wedding takes place. Uh, the reason we know a wedding takes place is because when we come back in Revelation 19, we come back as the bride of Christ. So there has to be a wedding that takes place. In Jewish culture, a wedding was a week-long ceremony. So this would have been uh, coinciding. It, it, it lines up too perfectly with Scripture. It would have been that seven-year period in which uh, the tribulation is taking place on earth. Simultaneously, the, the wedding and the marriage supper of the Lamb is taking place uh, in heaven. We come back down again as the bride of Christ. Now, another problem with the uh, an amillennial view, okay? When you look at the millennial reign, you have Satan that is bound for that period. He is, he is bound for that thousand-year period, and there is... Um, for the most part, there is a, a tremendous peace on earth. There is a, uh, again, Christ ruling and reigning. There is uh, a right government. It's not corrupt. He sets things in order. And you see a time again of peace and of rest and of joy. The Bible talks about in the book of Isaiah, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. The child will put his hand uh, inside the, the cockatrice or the poisonous uh, snake hole and, and not be bitten. The, the bear and the calf will, will coexist uh, without a... a, a um, without any type of death that results in it. So all of this is a peaceful reign. Now, to hold an amillennial view, uh, an amillennialist will tell you that the earth is going to get better and better and better and better, ultimately, until the eternal, until Christ comes in eternity, until we all uh, are ushered into that heavenly eternal, uh, eternal heaven there. The problem with that is it, you can't back that up with anything that's going on right now. Uh, the world is not getting better. The church is not getting stronger. Uh, this world is depraved, man is depraved, and will continue in that depravity. And there is no end to the depth of the depravity of man. If you don't believe that, um, look at what is going on right now. When you look and you see uh, things that are going on in, in uh, everyday life, when you see the, the gang life and the complete, complete lack of respect, there's no care uh, for the sanctity of life. When you look at abortion and how far we have come with that, that it is now uh, legal and it's it's encouraged it was even celebrated by some 
uh, when it was signed into law that they could uh, uh, do full-term abortions. You look at, um, we see the, the child pornography and, and all those things. Uh, what we see from those things is that the world is not getting better. It's getting worse. Now take that from a church perspective and we see what is ushering in there is the age of apostasy. We see that again, revelation chapter number three, uh, dealing with the Laodicean church and apostasy is a, uh, it is different than ignorance. Apostasy is a willing departure from the truth where people are saying that Christ, that there's another way to heaven besides Christ, that you pick whatever God you want. Uh, there's there's uh, many uh, a very uh, famous and very um, popular preachers today that say that you can blend Christianity and Islam. Uh, that That is a moving towards apostasy. The church is not getting stronger by any means. There, now, there always will be a remnant, but the church is not in, in itself getting stronger and better. It's, it's getting worse. So we see there that there has to come a time when God says enough is enough. The church is going to be uh, ushered out through the rapture, and then we, we, we see the beginning of that tribulation period. Uh, so again, you, you run into problems when you try to spiritualize that, or when you try and take it anything besides literally, as you made the statement, let scripture speak for scripture. Absolutely, and when you're talking about the remnant and, and us being raptured out, we as the believer, the church, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians 4, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, speaking of the, the Antichrist. Uh, before the Antichrist comes on the scene, before things get really bad on, here on earth, we're gone. The church is out of here. We're, 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 when, when we get raptured out, the, the Holy Spirit of God is going with us. Where the, the church is, is, is leaving this world, God's given uh, the, you know, the devil uh, full right away there. But you know, something, just talking a little bit about something uh, relevant today, and this may help somebody. We, we don't want to get too deep here, um, too away from the topic. Uh, but, you know, yes, we're living in a, a pandemic right now. This is, this was prophesied, right? This was over in the Olivet Discords. Uh, Jesus prophesied during the course of this age, there would be wars and rumors, rumors of wars. There would be pestilences, right? There's, Look, look at the church age. There's a lot of, um, there are several that come to mind, and, and this is just one of them. Uh, but you, you, there's a lot of speculating, and you use the word spiritualizing. There's a lot of that going on, too. And folks are talking about, you know, um, the relating the masks to idol worship and, and so on and so forth. And uh, the, there's the one with the microchips, and that could lead to the mark of the beast and so forth. Listen, regardless of what your opinion is with any of that, the church will not go through the tribulation. We are not going through the tribulation. We cannot take the mark of the beast. The Antichrist is not on the scene. You want to know why? Because we are the church. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And before the tribulation period starts, there will be the day of Christ, which is the rapture of the church, and we'll, we'll be out of this world. So uh, that was a very good description, brother. I appreciate appreciate that. You know, you, you touched on it. I think it's relevant to the... Uh, to the to the what you had mentioned earlier so i, I think that was some good information um we're gonna i'm gonna wrap up here uh would you mind if I, if I said one more thing with it yeah absolutely yeah any final thoughts you have go ahead and um we'll, we'll wrap up go ahead sir when you touched on uh just a second ago when you touched on the pestilence and the, and the wars and the rumors of wars one of the things uh that that has to be remembered with this and you and i've discussed it before i know we're in agreement with it um one of the things that has to be remembered by the church today is the 
gauge, so to speak, of, of uh, and, and no man knows the day or the hour. We're not, I, I'm, I never will. I'm not, I'm uh, not a date setter. I never will. That's, that's not my intention at all. But if we're looking around, Christ said to, to look up, he talked about the fig tree and, and when it, it begins to blossom and it, uh, as an uh, indicator of where we're at. The thing that we look at as the church, that is the ultimate indicator of, of our time, how close the rapture is, it is not, it is not to be looked at. It is not the evidence of any pestilence, any war, any rumors of war. There has always been and always will be until Christ comes back and set the, sets things right. There always has and always will be uh, wars, rumors of wars, and there will always be sickness. And the reason being is because this is a sin-cursed world. Amen. Our gauge, what we look at that determines how close, the, de the deciding factor and determining factor for the church as to how close we are to the Lord coming back is the apostasy of the church. Yeah. We're looking at the spiritual state. When we get to the place uh, where that church is, is uh, full-on apostate and, and there is but that small remnant, uh, then we know that that time, again, is, is right at end. And, and, and I believe, like I said, we are moving uh, closer and closer to that every day. And we've talked about this before. You know, there, there's a lot of, I, I, I referred to it earlier, about the spiritualizing and the, uh, the speculating that's going on now. You know, the government's trying to take our rights away, the financial difficulty in the church. You just touched it. It, those aren't the problems. The, the biggest problem right now is the, the, the apostasy that's, that's coming in the church. It's the, the lack of spiritual discernment. It's a lack of knowledge in the Bible. It's, it's, getting, it's getting worse and worse. And we even, you know, there's, there's some of that in Ezekiel, right? We, we touched on that earlier as well. So um, definitely, definitely um, the, the, the spiritual apostasy. Uh, the political anarchy, the moral awfulness, that's always with it. But the spiritual apostasy, that's, that's the one. So, uh, Brother Brandon, any, any, anything else on your heart uh, regarding this you want to you wanna say? No, sir. I'm, I'm, I believe we've, we've hit pretty good with it. And as, as always, sir, it's, it's great having you on the program. We really appreciate all your knowledge and uh, appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate it. Like I said, it's always a privilege to be on here. I always uh, enjoy the invitation and, and uh, certainly enjoy uh, talking the Bible with you. Absolutely. Well, friends, uh, we're going to um, get off of here on behalf of Dr. Brandon DuPont. This is Brother Dean Carmichael. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you. Oh.